If you've got a copy of Scripture, you can join us by opening your Bibles and beginning our new series, The Life of Christ, in the very first installment of it, toward a bigger Jesus, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, where we are told, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Amen? We just sang about Jesus as the Lion of Judah. And that image from the Old Testament and all the way on the other side of the Bible in the book of the Revelation is how Jesus is described. And that was how C.S. Lewis depicted him with the mighty Aslan in his Chronicles of Narnia series. And those of you that are you know, Lewis freaks, will remember that precious scene where the perceptive, the, um, the very tender-hearted, spiritually-minded Lucy, having not seen Aslan for some time, sees him again. And the first words out of her mouth are, Aslan, you're bigger. And his quick reply is, that's because you are older, little one. And then she very inquisitively looks at him and says, not because you are? And his reply is a theological truth that we should grasp. Aslan says, I am not. But every year that you grow, you will find me, say it, bigger. R. Kent Hughes, in his commentary in John's Gospel, writes, Every time a serious student returns to the Gospel of John, he finds Jesus bigger. And I know that to be true in my own life. I just concluded a study of John's Gospel, and I could not escape some of those chapters. It was like I was reading them for the first time as Jesus got bigger and bigger. And while during this series, and by the way, in this series, we're not just going to be going uh, into Jesus' coming. But this series is going to encompass his entire life, death, resurrection, ascension ministry. This is going to go all the way up until the summer of 2022, Lord willing. And while we'll be looking at all four Gospels, the Gospel of John has a way of pulling us back and making Jesus bigger. Now, when we're talking about Jesus, just to be clear, we're talking about God. And most of us simply don't have a big enough view of him. Or as J.D. Greer writes, God is not just a slightly better, slightly smarter version of you. God is infinite and glorious, and an encounter with him won't just change the way you think about your faith, it will change your entire life. And more recently, Adam Ramsey in his excellent book, uh, Truth on Fire writes, nobody who catches even the faintest glimpse 
of this God walks up to him with a swagger or away from him with a yawn. So how do we make Jesus bigger? Now, technically, you can't because God never changes. God is immutable. He does not mutate. I think the psalmist captured it when he said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us rejoice in him together. When you magnify something, you don't actually make it bigger. You just make it seem bigger, right? And we can't enlarge Jesus, but we can magnify him, right? So therein lies the goal of this series. That we, that you and I would see Jesus, like Lucy, before time, in time, and during his time on earth, his coming, his life, his teaching, his miracles, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his glory, his ascension, and his ministry beyond. And to those of you here who don't know Jesus, and that would be a number of you, Those of you watching online who don't know Jesus, that would be some of you as well. The goal is obviously that you might know Jesus. But to those of you who are saved, those of you who have a relationship with the living God, that you would grow in Christ so that Christ might grow in you and figuratively speaking, become what? Bigger. So let's look at that text I just quoted to you, John chapter 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Literally, face to face, face to face with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So here's what we're going to do for our time today. To make Jesus bigger. To make Jesus bigger, we need to see him before time. We need to see him in time. And we need to see him for all time. All right? So first, we need to see him before time. As one who holds everything together. You notice repeatedly he's called, and I'll establish that it is Jesus we're talking about in a moment. The Word. Three times. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? So that's, that is a word many of you are familiar with. In the first century, it was very familiar. The word logos. A very familiar word in the first century Greek-speaking world. Virtually pregnant with meaning. Philosophers in that day used it to describe whatever was or whoever was unifying the universe. The logos was the thing, the stuff, or the person who held everything together. And if you are familiar with your New Testament, your mind should automatically go to Colossians chapter 1, where we're told that Jesus is before all things And by him, all things, what? Hold together. They consist. They come together and stay together. He is the one who keeps the universe together. He is the Lagos. And by the way, if Jesus, by his power, can hold the universe together, then by his love, he can hold you together too. Amen? And does. 
see him before time as side by side with Father God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. I love working with new Christians. And I, was, I get with a few every week at an ungodly early hour. And, uh, but we were working together here just the other day, and I, I, every once in a while I like to throw the passage I'm preaching on them just to see how they wrestle through it. And they, had, they were wrestling through it. I said, what do you see, which is the first principle of Bible interpretation, you know, observation, what do I see? And one of them, looking at the, staring at the passage, goes, well, there's more than one person here. And he was spot on. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We are talking about multiple personalities here, and he saw it. And he even alluded to Genesis 1, 26, where God says, let us make man in our image. And you have this plurality of the Godhead here. But the word with means, as I alluded to earlier, face to face. And it never means, this word, this particular word never means against. You know, you can be with somebody and against them, right? Uh, it it's always has a positive sort of a meaning uh, to it. So, in other words, my mind went to uh, the dialogue between Satan and God in Job chapter 1 and 2, which is a bizarre passage. We read this, it's like, what in the world? He's up there talking to God. So, he is there, but he's not with God, <laughs> okay? He's there in that, in that section of that passage, but he's not with. Jesus is side by side, face to face with God. And by the way, the one who is side by side with God has also promised to be side by side with you if you know him. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Amen? So see Jesus before time as eternally existing with the Father, which makes Jesus eternal, by the way. Notice again, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That, that word was is, a, is an I am verb. It's a, uh, and the tense is imperfect. You don't need to, all you need to know about the imperfect tense is the imperfect tense is past is a continuous past action. In other words, he was, this speaks of his eternality. Jesus is eternal, and only God can be eternal. Let me show you something in a passage many of you probably love, some of you have memorized, and you may not have seen this before. And, and, uh, and Jude, choose any chapter in Jude, but look at the very end of it here. Now to him, look at this, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Watch this, before all time and now and forever. Notice what we said, if you're going to see Jesus bigger, you need to see him before time in time, and for all time. And you have it right here. He is the eternal God. Why is that such a big deal? Because when we say that Jesus is eternal, that's more than saying he was preexistent. Angels were preexistent, but they weren't eternal. They were created 
at the point of at the point of the beginning of time or just before time. We don't know exactly when they were created, but they are definitely pre-existent. But they're not eternal. Only God is eternal. So when Moses says in Psalm ninety, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's talking about the eternality of God. You aren't from everlasting to everlasting. You're everlasting. Make no mistake. You will live forever. But you're not eternal in that you have an everlastingness before time. But Jesus did because he's God and God is eternal. So see him before time in all of these ways and then ultimately as God himself. See him as God himself. And you don't have to know Greek or its tenses or anything to see it. It's as plain as right before your eyes. Say it if you, if you can quote it. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. There it is. As clear as it could be. The word was God. And no other gospel, no other gospel of the four accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection emphasizes the deity. And when I say deity, I'm talking about divinity. When I talk about divinity, I'm talking about the godness, that Jesus is God, okay? No other gospel talks about and, and, and exploits and amplifies the deity, the godness of Jesus, like John's gospel. I mean, just skip down a few verses to verse 18. No one has ever seen God. John writes, the only God, (laughs) I love this, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. That's a great proof text for the deity of Christ right there. I love it in John chapter 5, a little more obscure. Uh, They took up stones to kill Jesus here. And the reason is, Jesus said, Jesus made one little line. He said, my father is working and I am working. And with that, they tried to kill him. John 5, 18 tells us why. It says, because He said God was his father, making himself equal to God. So the next time you have a Jehovah's Witness say, well, no, he wasn't God. He was the son of God. You take him to John 5, 18, where Jesus said God was my father. He was, in essence, and the Jews understood it, making himself equal with God. And then, of course, you've got John chapter 10, where Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give to them eternal life. They'll never perish. No one will pluck them out of my hand. My Father, who's greater than all, has given them to me, and no one can pluck them out of his hand. Say the rest of you know it. I and the Father are one. Another great passage on the deity of Jesus. And there are many more, but perhaps the greatest is in John chapter 8. And I think it is, and the reason I think it is, I'll show you in a moment, but not the least of which is, it's, it's when Jesus and his enemies came to a fever pitch. They were literally verbally fighting in the moment. Back and forth they were going. And Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. What? They're going back and forth, and Jesus says, your father is the devil. I mean, when you tell somebody your father is the devil, you're talking about having a fight right now. And they're going, Abraham, we, you know, Abraham's our father. Listen, Abraham, are you kidding me? Abraham rejoiced to see my day, Jesus said. What? You're not even 50 years old and you know Abraham? And with that, Jesus said these epic words. He said, before Abraham was, what? I am. 
and they tried to kill him. Why? On the surface, why would somebody want to kill him for that? Because these were Jews he was talking to. They didn't have a New Testament. It hadn't even been written yet. They had the Old Testament. And when Jesus made that remark, he was alluding back, directly back, to when Moses encountered Jehovah God on Mount Sinai. And if you'll recall, here it goes. Here's what it says. Now, every time you see something underlined, you say it. I need your voices here, okay? Then Moses said to, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the of your fathers that sent me to you, and they ask me, what is your name? They sh- what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Repeatedly, we see this is who talking to Moses? God. And when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, he was claiming to be the very God who spoke to Moses in the burning bush. And that's why they tried to kill him. And that's what makes it so outstanding. So many more. But he's God. Does that make Jesus bigger? Because if it doesn't, there's just something wrong with you, which there probably is in some cases. So we're going to keep going here, okay? So if you're going to make Jesus bigger, you have to see him before time as the eternal God. And you need to see him in time. And and in so doing, if you see him in time, you have to see him as Father God's ultimate communication. Because that's what words do, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, how do we know we're talking about Jesus here? Well, you skip down to verse 14, and that identifies it for us. And the Word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. We, we saw His glory. So immediately John connects the Word to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ here. The word, but, it, but why Word? Why use this word, this word logos? Well, because words are how we communicate, right? Words are how we, how we communicate to one another. You've either written, oral, that's how we communicate. Even in sign language, there's, 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 there are words. So this is why when the writer of Hebrews writes this great comparative book 13 times, he says, Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better. He starts it out by saying this. He starts out the, the letter by saying this. Long ago, at many times... And in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. In these last days, he has said it. He's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Is it any wonder that back in John's gospel again, when the enemies of Jesus, just before that epic showdown in John 8 uh, occurred, his enemies sent out a cohort to capture him and bring him in. Do you remember that? They failed. They came back and his enemies said, why didn't you bring him? And their reply was, because no one ever spoke like this guy. That's John 7, 29. Nobody ever spoke like this man. He is the ultimate communication of God. So see him in time as that. See him in time. He's the one who's speaking to your heart right now through his Holy Spirit. See him as 
he became human. Look again. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning. This, is, this harkens back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Now, in the beginning was the word this time. Now, he was there. Beginning of what, by the way? What's the beginning? Well, the answer is time itself and matter. Science, even the last century, has concluded with since Einstein's theory of relativity, that matter had a beginning. They, you know, they don't know when it is, so they throw in billions of years. But eat, listen to this. As a human, just as matter and time had a beginning, as a human, watch this, so did Jesus. Listen, look again at this great theological passage in Philippians chapter 2. Here's how Paul writes. He says, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, that's the word morphe, and, and, and the Greek word morphe means it, it, it refers to something that never changes, never mutates. That's why we say that God is immutable. It's my favorite attribute of God because that means he never changes. Because If God was ever going to change his mind about me, he'd probably done it like 15 times by now. But I'm thankful he doesn't, aren't you? So anyway, so he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. By the way, you don't have to grasp at something you already have. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. So there is a beginning, humanly speaking. Now, God doesn't change. As God Jesus never changes. Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I do not change. And when you read the more famous or quote the more famous passage, like Hebrews 13.8, and many of, you, many of you can quote it with me. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you quote that, think divinity. Think Deity, think Godness. He's God. He never changes in his essence as God. Okay? That's the way you need to think. Why do you have to think that way? Because Jesus did change. How? Well, not in his essence because he is God. That never changes, right? Not in his essence. But in addition, he added to his unchanging divine nature, perfect human nature. Now, this is where it gets deep, but this is what theologians call the hypostatic union. And the hypostatic union is, is a perfect humanity and undiminished deity united together forever. That's Jesus. And that's why we call him the God-man. The God-man. Here's how D.A. Carson put it. Jesus added humanity to himself rather than transforming himself into a human. Let me say that again. Jesus added humanity to himself rather than transforming himself into a human. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to go from being God to becoming a man. This is why I have said for years, and it's always been sort of a brain teaser, but at his incarnation, Jesus didn't become less than God. He became more than God. He became, say it, God-man. Now, listen carefully here. 
Because part of being a Christian, becoming a Christian, walking with God, is knowing God. And to know God, you need to know that he is a, a triune God. You need to worship him intelligently. The Father did not become God-man. The Spirit did not become God-man. Only the Son, the eternal Son, became God-man. I remember years ago, uh, there was a good and a godly deacon. He was, a, he was very dear to me. But it just, it just aggravated me when he would pray. He was constantly thanking the Father for dying for him. And I told him once, you know, the, dude, the Father didn't die for you. The Son did. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. So one day I preached this epic message on the Trinity, differentiating the personalities within the Godhead. God is one, but he exists in three persons. Say it, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Got it all, made it clear. The Father didn't die for you. The Spirit didn't die for you. Jesus died for you. And I made it clear. I knew I, they, I nailed it. I absolutely nailed it. We had the Lord's table like we have today. I called my friend over. Would you pray? First words out of his mouth. Thank you, Father, for dying for our sins. Ooh. That's why when I pray, I don't want to be legalistic about it. You can pray, you know, God sees our hearts. That's the most important thing. But why don't we honor the Godhead and the only mediator between God and man who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Through me. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 14, when you pray, pray in my name. Not just generic Pray in Jesus' name. Why? Because you're honoring him as you should. All this is part of making Jesus bigger in your life. So see him before time. See him in time. And see him for all time. Quote it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. If you come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it's a forever relationship. And it's not something you, you don't start worshiping him later. Worship him now, amen? And trust him now, trust in him. If you're going to see him for all time, Trust in him, in time and for all time. And for some of you, that time might be right now. Paul said to the Corinthians, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You say, are you you just saying that? No. Right after the first service, I stepped down here and a man walked right up to me, weeping, hit, hit himself in the chest. He said, God, man, it finally made sense. And he trusted Christ right right there as a savior. And some of you need to trust him today. Some of you need to see Jesus as the one who died for you, as the God-man who died for you, was buried for you, rose again for you. He is the word, the logos, the one who holds everything together. And by the way, the Jewish philosopher Philo went so far as calling logos in the first century, quote, the divine intelligence that bridges God and man. He wasn't even a Christian. But he got it right. Jesus is the one who bridges us. Amen? There's only one mediator between God and men.
the man Christ Jesus. Only one. Not Mary, not the saints, not, not, not somebody else over here, not a priest, not a pastor. Christ is your one mediator. So trust in him. And obey him. In time and for all time. That's how you're going to make Jesus bigger. Jesus said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he's the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. And speaking of love, don't just obey him. In fact, if you obey him from your heart, you are loving him. Love him in time and for all time, and you'll make Jesus bigger. Here's how Peter put it, and this is to you and me. Peter said, even though we don't see him, we love him. And though we don't see him now, yet believing, we rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Amen? That's for you and me. You remember when Thomas, the doubting Thomas, didn't, wasn't there on Resurrection Day and said, hey, I wouldn't, he wouldn't believe unless he saw the imprints in his hand, touched, put his hands in his side, Jesus shows up. A week later, made him wait. I love that part about it. But anyway, comes in and says, hey, Thomas, check it out. Thomas says, my Lord and my what? And my God, that's John uh, 20, uh, 28. By the way, a great proof text for, for the deed. My Lord and my God. But Jesus doesn't say, great job, you got, it. you got the fact that I'm God. No, he says, Thomas, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those, that's you and me, who believe having not seen. So believing, we love him in time and for all time and worship him in time and for all time. In the book of the Revelation, just before Jesus comes back to earth to claim it, the scripture says in heaven, here's the scene, I hear every creature in heaven on earth and under earth and in the sea and all that's in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. Amen. Worship him for all time. Just the other day, again, working with these guys on the deity of Jesus, one of them just exploded. He said, God has changed my heart. Who I am in these morning meetings is who I want to be all the time. I love that. You need, if you want to see Jesus bigger, we need to see him before time, in time, and for all time. That's seeing Jesus bigger. Some of you have heard me tell the story of our pastor Jared who gave the announcements. His great-grandfather was here back in the 80s, 70s and 80s, and he sat right over here, and he stood up one evening, and with all of our backs to him, he read from Isaiah 6, you know, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and all the angels singing, holy, 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 and he wheeled about to all of us, and he looked at us, and he said, how do you see him? Which is exactly the way he sounded, by the way. How do you see Jesus? How big is Jesus to you right now? Charles Templeton is hardly a household name. In fact, I'm going to guess most of you don't even know who he was. Some of you might. You know your history. 
He was a personal friend to Billy Graham. They roomed together. He was an evangelist. He was incredibly talented, working with Youth for Christ in the 1940s. But by the end of the 1940s, he began to doubt the very words he was preaching. And by the end of the 1950s, he had rejected the faith, claimed himself to be an agnostic, and would later write about it in a book. Some of you have heard the, the name of the author, Lee Strobel. He wrote a book called The Case for Christ, proving who Jesus was and why you can believe in him. Later, he wrote another book titled The Case for Faith. And while he was researching the book in the early 2000s, actually, I think it was late 1990s, anyway, it doesn't matter, he found Charles Templeton. Then in his 80s, having just the very beginning of Alzheimer's, although he still had his wits about him. So, describing what he was doing, he asked Charles Templeton, what, what do you believe about Jesus now? Expecting him to give these arguments, which he'd been giving for many years, decades even, for why not to believe. Here's what Templeton said to Strobel. Jesus was the greatest human being who ever lived. Everything good I know, everything decent I know, I learned from Jesus. I adore him. Those are strange words from somebody who had rejected the faith. But then Strobel said he became shaken and there were tears in his eyes. And he said, I miss him. Some of you miss him. There was a time where he was bigger in your life. Where doctrine became doxology, but no more. You've put him off to the side. It may be because you don't even know him. But it might be because you've just drifted so far away. Remember what Jesus said to the Ephesians. We just put that study aside. He would later say to them in Revelation 2, you do so many things right, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. Is he still your first love? If he is, he should be getting bigger. Is he? Is he even in your life? I urge those of you who are here, if you have caught a glimpse of Jesus for the first time, repent, believe that he died for you as God and rose again. Trust him as your savior. And if you know him, make a commitment here, now, and forevermore to magnify the Lord and make him bigger. I'm going to pray. And as I do, I'm going to recognize what Christ did for us all around us. There are six places here, here in the back. The communion elements, these representations of Jesus, his perfect life and his sacrificial death, those 
communion elements aren't going to make you holy because you're taking them, okay? They're just symbols, but they're powerful symbols, and you have to have a relationship with Jesus if you are to partake in them. And if you do have a relationship with Jesus, we want you to. But don't do it without thinking. Go back to your chair. Hold those elements. Think about his life, his death, what he's done for you, and ask yourself the question, is he bigger? And examine yourself. If you're not a Christian, just sit where you're at and think about these things and turn like that gentleman earlier today did to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your son, the everlasting God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for sending him. What a love mission you sent him on. Thank you, Holy Spirit of God, for enlightening us making Jesus known to our hearts and minds. And I pray, Spirit of God, you would be doing that right now. You would, you would be illuminating the believers. You would be convicting and redeeming those who are not saved here. And if that's you, dear friend, as we pray, would you believe on the Lord Jesus? If you never have, the God-man, the bridge, would you trust him right now as your Lord and Savior? And to those of you who have as we participate in the Lord's table, think on that perfect life and sacrificial death given for you. And know him, obey him, love him, worship him in time and for all time. We ask these things in Jesus' name.